Welcome to People Who Wrote Books, a podcast about people who wrote books. I'm your host, Andrea, and I'm going to tell you the stories of some of my personal favorite authors. Now, this episode begins with a book that I was gifted for my birthday one year. And it was a gift from a fellow author friend who just, he's one of those people who has that really great understanding of people's literary taste. So he's, he like, he's like a book matchmaker. He can definitely, he's the person you want to ask when you want a recommendation on a book. So of course, this book went to the top of my to be read pile. And I know you all have to be read piles. They're like either by your bed or by your couch, but you all have them. I know you do. Now, this book was The Heart is a Lonely Hunter by Carson McCullers. And I was immediately struck by the ease in which the author moves between characters in the book. There are several different really diverse characters, but as a reader, you always know who you're reading, which character you're reading based on her style of writing that character. It was really impressive. So I had to look her up and I found out she was only 23 years old when she published this book. I was totally impressed and had to fall down the rabbit hole and find out more about Carson. Now, listeners, this story does include suicide. If you need to stop listening for your emotional well-being, I completely understand. Lula Carson Smith was born on February 19, 1917 in Columbus, Georgia. So she was actually named after her grandmother, Lula Carson, and For the first part of her life, she did go by Lula, but then by like around eighth grade teenage years, she started going by her middle name, Carson. So I will do that for these first few things. I will refer to her as Lula, but we'll change to Carson when she changes to Carson. Now, she was born in Columbus, Georgia, and this city just happens to be one of my favorite road trip stops when I'm on my way to visit family back in Indiana. So unknowingly, I have been doing research on this episode for years. Here's what you need to know about Columbus. Columbus is located on the Chattahoochee River. So yes, that does mean that Lula was born way down yonder on the Chattahoochee. And if you just finish that lyric in your head or out loud, then we can definitely be friends. Columbus is now a city of 206,000 people. But back in 1910, it was about 20,000, up to about 31,000 in 1920. So that would have been about the size when Lula was born. But she was born the year right after Fort Benning, the army base was established. So that base really gave a boost to the population. So by 1930, the population of Columbus was up to 43,000. So yeah, like between 1910 and 1930, it more than doubled. In population. Big part of that is because of the army base, Fort Benning. Now, Lula's parents were Lamar and Vera Marguerite, and she is the oldest in her family. She eventually does have a younger brother and sister. Her father was a jeweler, and they seemed to to live like a stable middle-class life. And her mother had this like premonition of sorts before Lula was born, and she was convinced that her daughter was going to be a prodigy. And apparently she told her daughter that often. (laughs) It was kind of a little bit of a a weight to bear, but apparently she could handle it. I also think it's very cool that you can still go to her childhood home because Columbus State University has the Carson McCullough Center for Writers and Musicians. 
and they operate a museum artist residency from her childhood home. I mean, they do a lot of other things as well, but I just think that is especially cool. So Lula started taking piano lessons when she was 10 and she was seriously talented, like accepted into Juilliard talented. And in 1932, when Carson was 15, and she was definitely going by Carson at this point, she was misdiagnosed with pneumonia when it was actually rheumatic fever. Now, this is going to impact her health tremendously throughout her entire life. But this was also the time of her life when she began to read a lot. Like she was a voracious reader at this point. So Carson graduates high school and is on her way to New York to study at Juilliard. So her father needed money for her to do that. And so he sold her late grandmother's ring and gave that money to Carson and then put her on her boat and sent her to New York. Now, somehow she manages to promptly lose all of the money as soon as she arrives at the city. Like I find this part of the story kind of bizarre and I'm not exactly sure how she lost it all immediately all at once. But according to Tennessee Williams, yes, that Tennessee Williams, because Carson and Tennessee were actually very great friends and we'll get to that in a little bit. But according to Tennessee, Carson accidentally took up board in a house of prostitution And one of the residents there was like, hey, let me show you around town. While I'm showing you around the town, how about if I just like hold your money for you to keep it safe? And then that person ran off. I don't know if that story is true or not, but that's what Tennessee Williams says. So we're going to go with it because it's the only story we've got. However, it happened in 1934, a 17-year-old Carson from her small town in Georgia is now alone and broke in New York City. But being in New York was her dream. So she's like, okay, I've got to make this work. She started working odd jobs and then managed to take classes at Columbia and New York University. But she was taking classes for writing. Because at this point, she had already changed her mind and did not want to be a piano player anymore. She wanted to write. She also started hanging out with like the hip 1930s literary crowd at this time. And that was like, totally where Carson belonged. Now she came home during the summer of 1935. And that is when she met a young man from Alabama who was stationed at Fort Benning. His name was James Reeves McCullers Jr. And he also went by his middle name. So he went by Reeves and he was also an aspiring writer. And Carson continued to go back and forth between Georgia and New York for her studies. And also she came home for her health. And she ended up back home for a while because she was on bed rest in 1936. She was quite sick. And this is when she had her first story published. In December of 1936, Wunderkind was published in Story Magazine. It was actually a story about a young person who had pressure from their family to become a prodigy. So wonder where that story came from. Anyway, she was not even 20 years old yet. So her first story was published and she wasn't even 20. And it was also during this time that she began writing her first novel. Then in September of 1937, when she was 20, she married Reeves McCullers. And there is a profile in 2001 in the New Yorker about Carson. And it refers to Reeves as, and I quote, 
a dreamer attracted to big, capable women. And I think that is like the more I learn about Reeves, I do think that is a a good description of him, just to leave in your heads for now. So Carson and Reeves moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, and they decided that they were going to take turns. Like one of them was going to write, and while that one was writing, the other person would take a job for money, which actually sounds like a pretty good plan. And Carson was the first to take her turn at writing, and during this time, she finished her first novel and wrote her second. So very productive time for her. When The Heart is a Lonely Hunter was published in 1940, it was an instant success. So Carson now, this aspiring young woman in the South, is a legit big deal. 1940, great year for her. And then in 1941, she had her first stroke. She also filed for divorce from Reeves. And she moved back to New York where she lived at the February house. Now the February house was an artist commune in Brooklyn Heights that was started by George Davis, who was an editor for Harper's Bazaar. So basically it was this rundown brownstone that apparently didn't even have like locks or functioning electricity. It was like just this rundown house where this group of aspiring artists came together and just hung out and inspired each other. Now, the name came from the fact that so many people who lived there, including Carson, happened to have been born in February. And I am also born in February, and that is when I got this book. So, you know, I found a, found a connection to me and Carson. And anyway, in addition, this is also where she began writing another book, The Ballad of the Sad Cafe. After she and Reeves divorced in 1941, they both went on to have new relationships. Now, Carson's relationships were with women, and the most well-known was Anne-Marie Schwarzenbach. And Anne-Marie was a Swiss journalist and photographer, and their love letters are actually archived at the University of Texas in Austin. Now, unfortunately, Anne-Marie died in November of 1942. Um, It seems that it was from a fall from a bicycle. Now, after their divorce, Reeves and maybe Carson as well. There's some discrepancy here, but Reeves had a relationship with the composer David Diamond. So they both did have relationships after their official divorce. Carson's father passed away rather unexpectedly from a heart attack in 1944. And at that time, her mother decided to purchase a home in Nyack, New York. And Carson and her sister moved in that home with their mother. I do want to mention that this house is also one you can view because it is also part of the Carson McCullough Center for Writers and Musicians. Very cool. We're in the early 40s and during this time Reeves re-enlisted in the army and then ended up injured in 1944 during the D-Day invasion. Interestingly enough, even though both of them did go on to have other relationships, they maintained correspondence during this time and there were many letters between the two of them. So then in 1945 Carson and Reeves remarried. Now there is nothing I could find that made this sound like a healthy relationship at this point. It seems like they were both drinking heavily and not really committed to one another. But regardless in 1945 they remarried. 
Then two years later, in 1947, when Carson is only 30, she had another stroke, and this time it left her left side paralyzed. Now, obviously, this is a very traumatic experience, and in 1948, she attempted suicide and then was hospitalized and received therapy that she continued through her life. In the early 50s, she and Reeves went to Paris, and in 1953, Reeves actually tried to convince Carson that they should commit suicide together. Carson refused this offer and left, but Reeves did go through with it and passed away in Paris in 1953. Now, honestly, I feel really bad for Reeves. Like, it it appears that he was living in a time when he was not able to openly love who he loved. And then he thought he found this companion in Carson. You know, they were fellow writers and they could support each other. And they created this plan to, to support each other's writing. And he did that. He supported her at the beginning of the marriage. And because of that, she wrote two books. But after her success, she left. She didn't live up to her end of the bargain. She didn't support him in the same way. And he actually never wrote. And I think this is really sad. And I do, I do feel bad for Reeves. Now, Reeves and Carson were actually both good friends with Tennessee Williams. And I want to talk about Tennessee and Carson's friendship because I just think it's really special. So it started in 1946. Tennessee Williams read one of her books and basically wrote a fan letter to Carson and said, please come visit me at my home in Nantucket. Now he, he was Tennessee Williams, so he was a little overdramatic about it and told her he was dying. But no matter what, Carson went and met Tennessee Williams in Nantucket. And they admired each other as writers. They had the South in common and they just hit it off and ended up spending the entire summer together at 31 Pine Street, which happens to be the name of a play. One of more than one plays that have been written about this summer. And I think that's really cool because it means that I am obviously not the only person who would have loved to have been a fly on that wall. So this is what sparked their friendship, but I do think it's great to see how many times their friendship shows up in her life story. So after her suicide attempt in 1948, she actually spent much of the rest of that year with Tennessee working on a stage adaptation of The Member of the Wedding, one of her books. And then Tennessee had a home in Key West and in 1955, so after the loss of Reese and all of that trauma, Carson spent time with him there to work on some manuscripts. So it really does seem like they had an amazing friendship where they supported each other's art, but also they supported each other during the difficult times in life. On August 15th, 1957, Carson had another stroke that left her in a coma and she passed away on September 29th at the age of 50. And it's just, it's another example of someone who wrote all of her life. She just seems to be another one of those people who had it in her DNA to be a writer. And even though her life was short and filled with health complications, she wrote four novels plus many short stories and screenplays. And in addition to her work, she also received many prestigious awards and accolades. And I think it is only fitting that this episode ends with a quote from Tennessee Williams. And I quote, Carson's heart was often lonely and it was a tireless hunter for those to whom she could offer it, but it was a heart 
that was graced with light that eclipsed its shadows. So I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about Carson McCullers today. And remember, behind every great book is a person who wrote it. And this person just happened to fulfill her mother's premonition.